You're listening to the Moody Mommies Podcast. Audio warning. You may or may not hear kids screaming and yelling in the background. Or us screaming or yelling at them to keep it together. Hey guys, it's your Moody Mommies here. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Jessica. And today we are going to be talking to our friend Jamie, whose Instagram is Lotus Lane Jane. And we're going to get really serious on this episode. Um, I mean, I've been really excited to talk to her, and her story is incredible. So we... Oh, I guess I should say this. I don't know how you moms are, but trigger warning. I see that in a lot of posts, so... This um, episode is going to be dealing with infant loss, so, you know, just be aware that if you want to listen, it's a very, very, very interesting story, and I think you guys are really going to benefit from hearing it. Yes. Hi. Hi, Janie. I don't know if you're going to get confused between our voices or not. Oh, I kind of do when I listen to you. Well, this is Jessica talking. It's me, Vanessa. Hi, Jess. Hi. Hi, Vanessa. This conversation has been such a long time coming. I'm excited to finally talk with you. I know. Thank you for taking, like, the time to give me a call and, you know, follow me as well and my story, you know, our story. Yeah. I mean, your family. I appreciate it, too. Your family story is so touching, and, I mean, it just... It touches us, like, on a crazy, like, I don't even know the words to say. Yeah, another level. So, Jane, do you want to tell our listeners um, a little about yourself? Everyone that doesn't Um, know your story, do you want to share it with everyone? Sure. So, my name is Janie. Um, Pretty much, like, uh, all my friends and family, like, close friends, they all call me Jane. Um, So, you guys can call me Jane if you like. I had already started. (laughs) 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 Um, So me and my, he was my boyfriend at the time. Uh, We got pregnant in um, 2014. And I actually found out that I was pregnant like the day after his 27th birthday party. So he was all hung over in bed and like I was in the bathroom taking my pregnancy test. (laughs) It was funny. And, um, so we were excited, you know, we were so happy and thrilled and like, we got into the doctor's office right away. Um, we went to all of our appointments and, you know, uh, it was pretty much like the pregnancy was super good. Like I didn't even have morning sickness. So it was just an awesome pregnancy. It was like everything I could ever imagine and hope for. Yeah, I could totally um, relate to that. Where Vanessa had the opposite where she was sick. I was sick like the up. entire time. Yeah. Totally jealous. The only weird thing it. about it was like I you know like um the little farmer John like breakfast sausages. Like that was the only thing that like I couldn't eat. It didn't make me sick, but I just like I couldn't eat it. It was really weird. <laughs> so um yeah, so the pregnancy it was really good. Uh, at the time, we were living, like, out in the boonies. We were living in Hemet, <laughs> and is, we didn't oh feel comfortable. God. Do you have family out there at all, or you guys were just alone? No. Yeah, we were just alone out there. Like, the, you know, cost of living was, like, way cheaper, so. 
So I know that That's you, why we're there. you know um, our friend Christina from Booby Life, right? Did you yeah. grow, did you grow up with her or were you from Ontario as well? No, so her her mom was actually my boss for like eight years. Oh. I was her administrative assistant. Okay. Yeah, so that's how we know each other. And then, like, um, Christina and her other sisters would come into the office and visit. And, you know, we just kind of chatted and hung out. And I really loved her mom. And we just, even, you know, after we stopped working together, we just always stayed connected. And they're family a, grew on me. Yeah, they're a really good family. I adore them. They're, yeah. They're I love very, them. like, like, you feel like you're part of their family, like, right away. <laughs> yes, definitely. I love her mom like to the moon. I call her. I always called her my mama bear. She's my mama bear. Mm-hmm. She totally is everyone's mama bear. Yeah. Um, but okay, so you guys are way out there now. So we were, we're like way out in the boonies, and you know we didn't feel comfortable delivering at the hospital that was out there, and you know like we didn't have family out there. You know once we once the baby came to like watch the baby for us or whatnot. So we decided to like move back closer to family uh, with his mom. So once we moved over here, I transferred into like I researched this hospital, like I researched it. I did my work, you know, and I requested like this specific doctor because like he was the best and whatnot. So we transferred over here and I started working with that doctor like I think it was 20 weeks so it wasn't too far it was like halfway through my pregnancy and again like everything was fine I didn't have any complications <clears throat> he made me do like all of my testing all over again like like ghosts and um stuff like that but it was no big deal like I passed with flying colors yeah and um so we were due in uh, March, the beginning of March, and, you know, my due date came and went, <laughs> and I was already, like, 41 weeks, and so the doctor weeks? said, well, she's not 41, yeah. Oh so, <clears throat> um, you know, I was just ready to have her, obviously. I was excited. Yeah, sure. And so the doctor was like, okay, well, you know, it's over a year overdue, so, you know, let's get this baby out. I was under the impression that I was going to walk in, like we scheduled, a, you know, time to walk into the hospital. So I was under the impression that like I was going to walk in and we were just going to have a C-section. I was totally for it. I was ready. But we walk in and the doctor was like, no, we're going to induce you. So I was kind of like blindsided by that. Yeah. And um, so... It was kind of like so. Even up until this point, we, all the all her vital signs, everything is like reading totally normal. Totally normal. Everything was normal. Like I had a non-stress test. Uh, I want to say like Thursday, and he wanted me to go into the office um, that like early Monday morning. So I had just had a non-stress test that you know like four days before, and nothing was wrong. So we go in and, you know, like I said, I'm expecting a cesarean, but they like stopped me in my tracks that no, we're, I'm going to be induced. I was kind of like mm, against it, but they, they totally made me feel like I didn't have a choice that, you know, that was my only option. Yeah. 
So like we were, you know, reluctantly like, okay, like, well, let's proceed. And she made it seem like it was going to be as quote unquote, uh, like natural as possible. So like they were going to give me like ripening cream and stuff like that to like help me dilate and soften and whatnot. So that's what we started with. Before you guys went um, in, did you guys do like the laboring classes that the hospitals offer? Um, I went to like one class and it was, that class was like really huge. I really didn't feel like it was like an intimate experience, you know? And they just kind of gave you like a quick rundown of the hospital, like where everything was located sort of, you know? Yeah, that I think I went to something really similar to that where they didn't Hospitals really, were. yeah, they, you know, it was just a tour. It's not really a laboring yeah. class where, because I mean, I know when I went in, I totally didn't know what was going on either. It was all just kind of like, take the wheel. You guys are the professionals. I've right. never had a baby. Right. Just Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly how I felt too. Like, yeah, they're, they're professional. Um, I totally put all of my trust in them. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I did my own research, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not a doctor, so, right. yeah. So, there we are, um, you know, being induced, and she gave me, like, um, softening cream. Uh, I did, like, two doses of that, and after, like, eight hours, it was still, like, no dilation. So she put in, it's called a, a Foley balloon, where it's like this little balloon. Yeah, um, Danelia, the mommy amor birth told us about that. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually had one of those put in. Okay. And it didn't hurt, like, um, so they just put it in you and then they fill it with saline, mm-hmm. like water solution. And as soon as, like, um, you're dilated enough, the balloon will fall out. So that's what had happened. Um, by that point, I was already, like, let's see, 12, like 16 hours into the induction or into labor, like by the time that balloon fell out. So 16 hours um, to get four centimeters. And up until that point, I felt, you know, really good. Like I didn't, I could see that I was having contractions, but, you know, from the monitor, but I couldn't really feel anything. I wasn't uncomfortable. I was, you know, I was really good. Um, so after the balloon fell out, it was like six six o'clock, six thirty in the in the evening, and um, so the doctor was asking me from there, like that point on, you know, what were my options? And so she was telling me that you know it's going to be shift change <clears throat> coming up, and that if I wanted to get an epidural, like right then would be the ideal time. So and I had planned, I had already done you know my research, and I had planned on getting an epidural. So I went, got, you know, they ordered it, they put it in, it wasn't a problem. So from there, she said, once you get an epidural, it's going to be hard for you to get up and walk around, use the restroom. So we're going to put in a catheter. Yeah, they had to do the I same said, for me, too. Yeah. I think any time you So I was like, there, okay. Because you can't get up. Yeah, you're not allowed to get off the bed, so you have yeah. to get a catheter. Yeah. So, okay, like, no problem. I let her do that. While she was putting that catheter in me, she took it upon herself to break my water. Like, she didn't tell me. She didn't ask me. Like, she just, she did it. Even when she was, like, putting, like, doing it. Like, she didn't say nothing. Like, 
you're gonna feel this you're gonna feel water this is what i'm doing like nothing not allowed anymore by the hospital that's what i was told when i was in labor because my mom asked if they were gonna Uh pop my water and they were like no nurses aren't allowed to do that anymore you have to wait for the doctor to come in and he'll say when it's necessary to do so yeah and like for me, I my water didn't break either, and I was having a lot of trouble. So they were just like, mm-hmm. you know, my mom I did the same thing. She asked if they could break my water, and they're like, no, we can't. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, how about this? You know, like get in position, like if you're going to push out the baby and do some practice pushes. And as I was yeah. doing those practice pushes, my water broke. Yeah. They purposely made you mm-hmm. pop it. Yeah. Those kids. Well, this, was, this wasn't even like my physician. Yeah. It was a resident. It was a resident. Um, but still, so, like, she should have been supervised. I found, like, yeah. long story, but I found out later, like, she didn't even have her license. Like, she graduated from medical school, but she didn't have her license yet at that time. So she technically should have been supervised by, like, my actual attending physician when she did that. Um so she broke my water and, you know, she didn't tell me. She just kind of like, all right, you're all good. And she walked away. And my nurse, who was right there, she, like, was changing the pad under me or whatever. And she's like, oh, you have, like, a lot of fluid coming out and, you know, stuff, whatever, you know, body fluids coming out. And I was like, really? Like, why? Did my water break? You know, I didn't feel anything. And she looked so confused. She's like. She didn't, the nurse, like, the resident didn't tell you she was going to pop your water? And I was like, no. She, like, I was so mad. I was like, she broke my water. Like, she didn't tell me. Like, I'm only four centimeters in my mind. Like, that is way too early. Way too early. And so I was expressing, like, my concerns about the baby getting dry or not being able to come out, you know? Um... And at that time, my mother-in-law, she was visiting. So she was in the room, but she was behind a curtain. And um, she heard me. You know, she actually works for Kaiser as, like, a medical records person. But so she's kind of familiar with, like, procedures and whatnot. Anyway, so she heard, heard me talking and asking, you know, the nurse. And she kind of, like, flew behind the curtain and was like, what's going on? Right. <laughs> and, um. So, I mean, I was like, no, like, I was upset, I was confused, and I was like, call her back right now, call this resident back, I want to talk to her right now. And they're like, okay, so she left, and then she never came back. I didn't see her until, like, the next day. Supposedly she had, like, she was done with her shift, and she was gone for the day, too. So, like, I had no option. I, I mean, it was already done, and there was nothing else that, like, I could do. So, um, I just continued, you know, to lay there and, you know, labor, hope that, you know, that the baby would come soon. Um, at that time too, they started Pitocin Mm -hmm. to hopefully like really get things going. I've never heard of that. Have you heard of that, Vanessa? Mm -hmm. It helps the labor. The the Pitocin, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or it's also called like Oxytocin. Okay, so then, but, um, so what exactly, so like, in case there's people like me out there listening that don't know exactly what that is? I almost so it's like a, a medication um, that's supposed to be similar to your woman hormones 
to like help the uterus contract, um, like push to help push the baby out. And this that's what it's supposed to do. And they put this in through your IV. Yeah. Yeah, it's through an IV. Okay. And so, um, I've done a lot of research on it. Like they're supposed to start it off in small doses, and um, they have a checklist. They're supposed to do this checklist before they start it. And then after they start it, they're supposed to do this checklist like every 30 minutes. And this checklist is saying like um, the baby has is supposed to have accelerations, like their heartbeat is supposed to go up during a contraction. Um, they're not they're only allowed to have like two decelerations um, within 30 minutes, which is like the heart, the baby's heartbeat going down during a contraction. So like it's a checklist, you know, it's criteria, <clears throat> criteria that the baby is supposed to meet in order to like have this medicine done because it's like a high risk uh, medication. If it's like misused, it could harm the baby. I mean, of course, at that time, I didn't know all of this stuff. I found this out like way later. <laughs> right. So, I mean, of course, like me going into the hospital, they would have been like, we're giving you Pytosin. I would have been like, okay. Pytosin? It's Pytosin. Pytosin. <laughs> you <laughs> saved <laughs> me. You know what I mean? I would have been like, what? Yeah. Um, okay. Should've you know? Like, yeah, should've, yeah, whatever. I totally would have been like that because yeah. like I didn't know. No, but- I mean, you're right. We walk in there trusting these people with our lives. Like, hey, you're a hospital. You're going to save me. You're going to make sure I'm in the utmost. Yeah care so like i don't know the regulations right you guys know you know what i need in this case yeah give me what i need and yeah yeah like they went to they went to school for 12 plus years you know they should know what they're doing like even with the epidural like i knew there was such thing as an epidural but they're just like okay now sit up and i'm like what like i don't know where what is this what's happening (laughs) yeah hey did you guys did you guys have like when your epidural was placed did you feel like that crunchy I don't know, weird feeling like your bones in your back? No. no. Was it just me? Oh my god, mine did. Maybe that's something I knew. Look it you. felt weird, like that's so weird. Like I don't know if you ever yeah, have you ever had like if you've had an adjustment like by a chiropractor and your bones kinda crack a little bit? That's what it felt like to me. No, I didn't have that. I didn't yeah. have that feeling at all. I just felt maybe cold yeah i got cold for sure okay yeah they put the little needle back there i just remember i was in so much pain i was shaking the whole time they're like you gotta keep still you gotta keep yeah it's like can't put this in but it's like the more they're telling you to keep still you i'm like clenching up you just want to like jerk or something like (laughs) yeah like imagine like oh my god i have horrible allergies (laughs) i had a sneeze attack during that it would have been over (laughs) <laughs> no, it's just it's a really scary moment of your life when you yeah. decide to go for an epidural. Yeah, I know. Okay, so okay, so they gave you the pitocin. so they so they started <laughs> us uh, yes on um, pitocin, <laughs> and they're not putting the like, checklist, huh? And yeah, they're supposed to do this checklist like every thirty minutes to make sure she you know, met all of those requirements. And they weren't coming in to Yeah, so my nurse was, well, my nurses were, like, always in my room. Like, always. Constantly. So, the nurses were, the nurse, like, on that first day was really good. I really liked her. She was nice. And she was, like, informative and helpful and everything. Um, The nurse on the second day, (laughs) because I went in on, like, super early Monday morning and by this time it was like Monday night 
So it was already like more than 12 hours. It was 12, probably like eight, that was probably like 18 hours 18 into hours. it. And your water had already been broken all this time. Uh, no, my water, they broke, they broke hours. my water oh, okay. like at 18 hours. Oh, okay. at 18. Okay. okay. Yeah. So they started the Pitocin, they broke my, they broke my water. And then after that, like me and my husband, you know, try to get some sleep. Um, I remember the nurse waking me up like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. Um, and she was like throwing the face mask on me and I was so annoyed. I was like trying to sleep. Like, what the heck? Swish her away. <laughs> like, get this out of my face. Um, and she kept doing it. And I just, just like, no, like, I'm fine. Like, I can breathe. There's nothing wrong with me. I was so confused. Um, and she's just like, okay. She didn't say anything. Like, she didn't tell me why I needed it. <clears throat> so I went back to sleep. Um, and I woke up again, like around six o'clock in the morning. And I was like shaking, shivering. And I wanted another blanket so bad. I was like shaking so bad. And she was like, no, it's you know, probably something from the Pitocin. Like your body's just adjusting. You'll be fine. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went back to sleep. And then I woke up again, like around um, 10 o'clock in the morning. So when I woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning, by that time, it was like 32 hours into the induction. And so when I woke up, I felt like crap. Like I felt like, like I had been hit by a truck. I felt so sick. My body hurt so bad. Like, and I was hot. My face was red. I was sweating. Like I felt like sick. Like, like I had a major flu, like just sick. And, um, so the doctor, the resident came back in. And she was like, oh, um, you have an infection, so we're going to order antibiotics for you. And she gave me um, some Tylenol so to help with the fever, and they put ice packs on me. And since I felt, like, so horrible, I was like, and it was already, you know, 30-something hours, I was like, you know what, I'm done. Like, just, I, I want to have this baby. I feel like crap. I want a cesarean right now. She's like, you don't qualify for a cesarean. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. I was like, qualify? Like, what do you mean qualify? Like, I had never heard of anybody being denied a C-section ever, ever. Um, okay, after you talk, I know that you're also friends with Demelia. Um, what does she say about that? Does she say that you're allowed to ask for a cesarean if that's the kind of birth that you want, or it doesn't matter, you just don't qualify? So, like, you can, you can request it, but... I, I mean, I guess the doctor, the doctor, like, weighs the risks and benefits as to, like, you know, is it gonna, you know, I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but, like, are the risks of having a surgery, do they outweigh the benefit of the baby coming sooner? So, I mean, I guess it's up to the physician. You can request it, but they can always deny it. And so I didn't know that at that time. So I, you know, was like, dude, I'm... I'm really sick. Like, I don't understand how I wouldn't qualify for a cesarean. And so um, they just said, well, yeah, you don't qualify. Like, you being or having an infection, like, it qualifies you for an induction for you to have the baby, but not a cesarean. So, again, I felt, like, defeated. Like, I had no option. Oh, 
was just told to continue to labor. The resident left and the nurse, she was like, okay, well, I'm going to change your pad. And I've always liked to sleep with um, a pillow or something between my knees. Mm-hmm. So when she was like, I'm going to, you know, change your pad or whatever. So she took the pillow out from between my knees, my knees. <laughs> and the pillow was like halfway covered with like meconium, mm-hmm. the baby's meconium. Mm-hmm. So like I knew from, you know, my research that when a baby lets their meconium out, it means that they're in distress. Mm-hmm. So like, again, I freaked out like, okay, she's in distress. I feel like crap. Like, you better call her back. I want a C-section. Yeah. Did that happen? And again, she... no. I think with Justine, I remember I did have that too. Okay, I was gonna say I remember someone. I remember yeah. it in one of your episodes talking about it. Yeah, that was me. Um, I I was in labor too for like hours. They started like my contractions on Sunday, and then I didn't have her until Wednesday. So I was in there for hours too, and they were, you know, wow. trying to figure out where I have to suction her out, and I was just like whatever like same thing as you like whatever you have to do like get, get this baby out you need. and you know they, yeah. then they said like, yeah you know she has a like poop already in there like and i'm just like oh, oh the when they poop right that's what it is right yeah okay yeah, yeah. oh yeah that happened with zoe poop. but yeah. <laughs> okay so meconium yeah meconium. so she you know had the meconium and so she just pretty much cleaned me up, changed my pad, and I was told to, like, again, just lay there and labor. Um, and at that time, I I had, so it was, like, 12 hours since she broke my water, or more than 12 hours since she broke my water, right? And in those, like, 12-something hours, um, I went from 4 centimeters to 5 centimeters. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, so that nurse, like, she was the new nurse for that day and me and her just like did not click we were not cool at all like I don't know what it was maybe it was just because I wasn't feeling good but we just couldn't get along and um so like again her too she was putting the oxygen mask on me and she was like having me turn from side to side like every 20-30 minutes and like I was I got annoyed and I got frustrated and uh, finally, I was like, what, what is it? Like, why are you giving this to me? What, what is the purpose of it? Because I'm, you know, I can breathe fine. And then that's when she said, like, okay, when the baby's fetal heart rate, the strips are showing that the baby's having um, decelerations, that the decelerations mean that, like, the baby needs oxygen. So it's for the baby. It wasn't for me. And so, again, I freaked out. <laughs> um. I'm like, oh my God, she's, you know, she's not getting enough oxygen. So, of course, that's going to make, like, any mom, like, panic. So, from that point on, like, anytime she told me to put it on, like, I would put it on and suck up all the air that I could get. (laughs) I wonder why the first lady didn't tell you that that's why she was doing it. Yeah, I don't know either. But, I mean, it it was also, like, 2 in the morning. I was just really sleepy. (laughs) Her and I just didn't click for the rest of the day. And um, the the baby had, like, the sensors on the top of her head, like, to, to trace her heart, her heart patterns. Mm-hmm. And so, like, from the meconium coming out, it was, like, making them slip off of her head. 
And so like she was all up in my business like a lot, you know, I felt like it was excessive to like put them back on or fix them so that like so she could be like, monitored. Roxy's like already down the birth canal, like her head's already showing that they have monitors on it. No, like she wasn't that far. She, yeah, she, no, she wasn't that far down. Like, but they could go. You know, they they okay. went up there. Okay. They went up there. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they could feel her head yeah. anytime that like I had a check. They could feel her head, but I still wasn't like crowning or anything. You know. Okay. So in the afternoon, I mean, again, I kept asking like for a C-section. The doctor came back again like around noon, and then again like at one, and I kept asking. I was just done. And they just kept telling me, like, I didn't qualify. Like, around 3 o'clock, she came back again. And she was like, you know what? Um, you know, let's let's go ahead and go with the cesarean. So I was like, hallelujah. You know, yeah. I, signed my, <laughs> I signed. After my water broke, they're like, we have, like, this amount of hours. And if you don't push that baby out in that time, then, you know, we're going to take her out. Yeah. And yeah. same thing, like, once they saw that it was, like, you know, meconium, they're just like, okay, like, now is the time. Yeah. And, like, they had the, like, NICU people in the room, like, ready for her to come out, like, just in case of anything. Yeah. So, I again, you're totally right. Like, at that time, I didn't know what, you know, what that guideline is, what that guideline was. Yeah. Like, after the fact, now I know. Once they pop your water... You, they have between 12 and 18 hours for that baby to be delivered. Um, after 12 or 18 hours, like it should be considered a, a failed induction and they should have given me a cesarean. Um, but by that time, it was 20, I was in labor 22 hours with my water broken. So they should have done it way sooner. But again, at that time, I didn't know. Um, so when she finally like agreed to have a cesarean, I signed my paper and I was like, let's go, you know, I'm ready. So she left and um, the nurse that me and her were not friends, we were homies. She was like, okay, I'm going to clean you and prep you for surgery. So like she's cleaning me and prepping me and like, I don't know, I just felt like she really like rough handled me and she was like, leaning on my stomach like super hard and I told her like dude that hurts and that's a lot of pressure it was uncomfortable and um she was like I'm almost done I'm almost done don't worry I'm almost done and like right at that moment um Roxy's heart rate dropped like it went like their normal heart rate was 150 and it plummeted all the way down to 60 and like all of the nursing staff came rushing in like what's going on um, threw the face mask on me to give me oxygen and like I was in a panic um, the doctor checked me and um, she was like though and at that time too I was still five centimeters um, the baby's heart rate went back up like it recovered so she was you know she it went back up and she was kind of like stable and um, the resident was like, okay, well, you know, just hang tight. You know, we're going to work on the cesarean. We're getting the surgery room ready. It shouldn't be too much longer. And she walked out. So I was sitting there and like this freaking nurse was like, I don't know if it was her birthday too or what the heck it was, but I, I totally remember her saying like, this baby better not give me problems because it's taco Tuesday 
and I got margaritas waiting for me at El Torito. Oh my god! I was like, "Who the heck says that to you know?" Yeah. I don't know. I was so mad. Oh I was so mad. That's super and yeah, like I'm an inconvenience to you, and this is your job, lady. Sorry. Right. So. <clears throat> So I was sitting there and she was still in front of me. She was like updating my patient chart, whatever, um, as to like that the baby's heart had just dropped. And she's standing right in front of me and she gets and she answers in front of me and she's like, yeah, yeah. Even if she wants to turn over, I won't let her. Um, okay, I'll let, I'll let her know, whatever. And she hangs up and she, she turns to me and she's like, oh, that was your doctor. He said that your baby's heart rate looks stable. So we're going to cancel the cesarean for right now and let you labor another few hours to see if she comes. Oh my gosh. And I was livid, like livid. I was like, nope, you call him in here and he needs to tell me to my face because I didn't want to do that. I wanted it. Like I consented to cesarean. He told me that's what I was going to do. Like it was too long. I still felt like crap. Like I'm done. And... I kept bugging her and bugging her, and I think it just got on her nerves. And she was like, you know what? I want you to turn over because I was facing her. So I think she wanted me to, like, have my back to her. She's like, I want you to turn over. And I was like, what? Like, you just said in front of me, even if I wanted to turn over, like, you wouldn't let me that I was comfortable the way I was. And so she was like, well, I don't care. I want you to turn over. So I I felt it, like, when you just have that, like, intuition, like, I felt it in my soul and I should not have done that. And I did. I turned over and right when I turned over, um, my husband was standing in front of me and his eyes got really big because he could see the monitor. I guess he could see that like her heart rate was dropping again. And he's like, he threw the face mask on me. He's like, I want you to take big, deep breaths. And I was like, don't play. I told him, like, don't play with me. It's not funny. And he's like, I'm not. Like, you need to breathe, like, really hard right now. So I was, like, breathing really hard. And, again, everybody came in, and they were checking me. And um, they were like, no. Like, they were feeling my stomach. It was really hard. Somebody gave me a shot in the ass if I don't know what. <laughs> and um, they're like, nope. They called code and, like, pulled everything out of out of the wall they threw some scrubs at my husband and they were like we're gonna go we're gonna have a cesarean you know she needs to come out right now so i was like okay and like i felt kind of it was kind of i don't know it's weird like i felt calm in the moment but i was still a little bit scared but i don't know it was just a really weird feeling right because i mean this is what you you had planned on doing the entire time. So now it's like, finally, you know what I mean? Like, what other yeah. sign did you guys need? Like, can you please take Roxy out? Like, mm-hmm. she's not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah. So it's probably so, like that little bit of relief. Yeah, yeah, it was. So we're, we're going down the hall and, like, we're turning all these turns. And as we're turning, like, the doctor's telling him, like, don't run. Because if you run and we make a turn, you're going to get, like, pinched against the wall, between the wall and the bed and... I was like, all right, weirdo, like, you're worried about being pinched against the wall rather than getting this baby out. And so as we're running down the hall, I'm, like, looking back, and I couldn't find my husband. I had no idea where he was. I was like, where is he at? And they're like, oh, he's putting on his scrubs. He'll be right here. So we get to the OR, so the operating room, 
And then, like, they put me, like, against the the metal table. And then I'm just, like, just waiting there. And, like, they didn't, like, pick me up and put me over onto the operating table. And so I was like, all right, well, like, what are we doing here? Like, this is, what are we doing here? Why am I still waiting here? And they're like, oh, well, we don't know how to transfer you. Like, this blow-up mat thing that was supposed to be under me, like, it wasn't working. And so then I started, again, I started to panic, like, she needs to come out now. Like, I don't know why I'm just waiting here. So I literally like turned over onto my belly and crawled like military style on my forearms oh my to like gosh. onto the table. And again, my husband, he wasn't in there. I don't know where he was. I was asking for him and nobody would talk to me. And as soon as like I got on the table, like they just like ripped my gown off. I was, like, totally, completely exposed to everybody. And, like, these doctors were, like, throwing alcohol and whatever on my belly and scrubbing me. And I didn't have, like, the blue sheets on my belly or in front of my face. And everybody was just, like, busy, hurry, doing something. And, like, they started, like, clamping my stomach, like, the skin to pinch it. Oh, my God. And I told, like, like, I, I felt it. I felt it, like, clearly, like, clear as day, I felt it. And I was like, hey, I'm not supposed to feel that. And, like, nobody would listen to me. I was like, I feel that, I feel that. And they just, like, completely ignored me. And the anesthesiologist was, like, at my head. And I looked back at him, I was like, I can feel that. Like, I'm not supposed to feel that. And he's like, oh, you just feel, like, um, pressure. You don't actually feel, like, pinching. I was like, no, I feel the pinching, and I'm not supposed to feel that. And then, um, just as I said that to him, like, one of the nurses was, I mean, like, I don't know who it was. Um, it was just like a big, loud, like, man's voice was like, you need to go now, like, to the surgeon. And I looked up, and again, I didn't have the boot cover in front of me. And I looked up, and I saw, like, the first, like, slice into my stomach. Oh, my God. And I just, like, felt, like, all of my hot fluids like on my stomach and covering my back and like I felt like every cut every pull every tear like I felt all of their hands inside of me and I was like screaming from the pain it hurt so bad and um so they pulled her up and <clears throat> somewhere in the middle I I had my eyes closed because I was in so much pain. And they finally put the blue sheet up. I don't know when or what point, but they finally put it up so I couldn't see. And, um, like, I could feel when she came out. But I was, like, in so much pain that I didn't realize that I didn't hear her cry or, like, make any noises. I was just, like, trying to breathe and trying to concentrate and trying to, like, contain myself and, like, the pain that I was in. Um. And then I started to, like, go numb. And it was, like, this heavy feeling, like, I don't know. It was just, like, a really heavy, I was, like, really heavily drugged. Like, I almost passed out. Um, and again, Robert, I have no idea where Robert was at at that point. He wasn't beside me. He wasn't in there. So I was just there by myself. And I was, like, I was still crying. <laughs> and, um... Everything was quiet. I mean, to me, it was, like, quiet. I'm sure they were making a lot of noise, but to me, it was just really quiet. 
And, um, uh, you know, all of a sudden I hear like, call it, call it, call it. And I was like, call it. Like my mind like flashed to like movies and stuff like that when they're like, you know, medical, the ER, whatever, when they're saying call it, like, yeah, like they're, someone's passed away. Yeah. So I started, you know, like, what's going on? Where's my baby? Is she okay? What's going on? And like, nobody would answer me. And some nurse, she was on the side of me, she grabbed my hand and I looked up at her and she was crying. And I was like, why is she crying? Like, why is she crying? What's going on? Why are they telling me anything? And I was asking for my husband again and nobody would say anything. Were and then, they not letting him in the room? I mean, I'm sure you found out later, like, where he was. Yeah, I found out, I found out later that, like, um, the scrubs didn't fit him or whatnot, or he tore them. And, um, when he finally got new ones, he, like, ran to the emergency, you know, to the operating room. And, um, <clears throat> he was, like, running in, and it's, he was running in. The person, the nurse or whoever was in front of him just, like, got to work and didn't tell him where to go or where to stand so he just kind of like stood in the doorway watching everything so like he saw them cut into me he saw that baby pull being pulled out he's you know heard me screaming um like he was just standing there watching everything um and uh when she was born like she was born without a heartbeat you know they were resuscitating her and so he saw them working on her, trying to resuscitate her. And uh, one of the, the the gentlemen working on her was asking for, like, a syringe. And everybody was just so busy doing stuff that, like, nobody responded and handed this doctor the syringe that he wanted. So Robert got frustrated and was like, give him the fucking needle. Give him the syringe. And then that's when they noticed, oh, he's he's standing there. And at that point, they kicked him out and told him to go, like, to the waiting room. Um, so uh, a nurse came up to me, and she put a band on my hand. And she was like, this is your golden ticket to go see the baby later. And so I was like, oh, okay, that means, you know, that means she's okay. That means she's okay, you know, like, she's good. And so they sold me up and took me to recovery. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, at that point, I'm thinking, like, Robert's going to be totally pissed at me. He's going to be so mad because he, he like, missed the birth of his daughter. He didn't get to, like, cut her cord or nothing, you know? Like, I thought I was so afraid he was going to be mad at me for some reason, you know? And um, so I'm in recovery, and I see him coming, and his face looks, like, so sad. He looks so broken. And I just asked him, I'm like, I just... I just remember telling him, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I could do. Like, I'm so sorry he didn't get to do any of that. Like, he was robbed of that, you know? And um, I just, after I told him, like, I'm sorry, and he didn't say anything. And I said, did you see the baby? And he goes, no. And I said, oh, well, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't care about me. Just go find her. Go find her and make sure she's okay. Go see what's going on with her. And so I sat there by myself and like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later, he comes walking back in and there's like 20 people behind him. And then like, that's when I just broke down. I was like, I was like, no, like, no, don't tell me. Like, don't tell me she's gone. Don't tell me she died. 
And, um, like, they were waiting for him to tell me. And he just stood quiet. He was like, I don't even know. Like, I don't know what's going on. And um, the nurse told me, like, she was pulled out. You know, that's when she told me when she was pulled out. She was not breathing. We had to resuscitate her. But because she was um, for so long without oxygen that, you know, all of her, you know, her brain and her organs suffered. So she's in the NICU and they're working on her. But most likely, like, if she survives, she's going to be, you know, in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. And, <laughs> and um, like, I had stopped crying. Like, I had stopped crying at that point. I was like, so she's okay. It was it was such a, like, roller coaster. Like, so she was gone. But then she came back. But, you know, like... I don't care, like, not that, it's not that I don't care, but I would rather have my baby, like, even if she was in a vegetative state, then, like, to not be with me at all, like, I don't care, I would have done anything, you know, I would have cared for her every day for the rest of my life if I had to, as long as, like, I had her, and, um, so, after they explained what had happened, you know, everybody left, and I was in recovery for a really long time. So she was born at like 4.30. By the time I got to like my own room in the maternity ward, it was like 8 o'clock. And I was like asking the nurse, you know, I want to go see my baby. I want to see her for myself. I need to see her. And she was like, oh, well, we just had shift change. And wherever the new people are, are going to be, you know, assessing her and treating her. So... Right now is not the ideal time for you to see her. You're just going to have to wait until tomorrow. So this entire time, like since they took her out of you, you still had not seen her one time. I still had not. I still had not seen her like at all. And um, so I was like, no, you. I don't care who you need to call. I don't care if you need to talk to the owner of this freaking hospital. Like I'm going to see my baby tonight and you're going to make it happen. So... <laughs> Um, like an hour later, finally, the, the nurse was like, okay, we have you approved. You're going to go see her. So she, again, she was born at like, she was born at 436 and I didn't see her till 915. And I just remember walking in and she was just, she looked like a perfect little baby, like so pink and her hair. And she was like, she looked like me. <laughs> my first, I have a picture of myself, you know, my, my first day. And she looked like me. Like there was no denying that that was my girl. Yeah, all the little pictures of her. She just looked so healthy and so full. Yeah. So, so when I walked in, she was breathing on her not breathing on her own, but like she, you could tell her. You know, she was breathing. She just had a little bit of help, like she had a, a tube in her nose, but her chest was rising. You know that she was breathing kind of on her own, and I was like, I, I had to. I had to feel her heart. Like I put my hand on her chest and I could feel her, her little heart. And it was beating so hard. And I was just like in such disbelief. Like there's no way she, she died. There was no way. Look at like, look at her. She looks so, so good, you know? And so I was just touching her and feeling her talking to her. And um, the, the nursing staff 
um, they only let us be there for like five minutes, and then they kicked us out. Oh my gosh! They were, yeah, you know, sure saying that five minutes felt like five seconds. Yeah, it totally did. And they only let us take like two or those two or three pictures, you know, that that I always post of her. Like those are the only ones that I was able to get that day. Um, so after that, like every day, we would go see her. So since since her brain was like deprived of oxygen, they put her on a cooling bed. So it's like a cold bed, and the cold and like certain kind of oxygen is supposed to help the baby like recover. So they're supposed to do that for three days. So they did that for three days, and then after that, they put her in a you know in, in a under a warmer light and let her body rewarm. And they said that that was, like, a really critical point because, like, once her body rewarms, um, however she reacted to it would determine, like, you know, how the rest of her life would be. And um, the doctors, the NICU doctors just kept, like, they really wanted us to just, like, give up on, on her and, like, pull the plug. Like, she's too far gone. You know, she's in pain. She's suffering. She, she don't want her to live her the rest of her life like this. Like, what it was just really, really hard. Yeah. Um, I had gotten into an argument. Like, thank God Rob was there, and he, my husband Rob, he was there. You know, like holding me back because I literally wanted to punch this guy one time. We were in the hallway, and he was again. He brought it up. Like, you guys need to just, you know, let her go. And I was like, no, like, I'm not going to give up. I'm not. Like I said, if I had to live the rest of my days taking care of her 24-7, that's what I was going to do. And he yelled at me from the top of his lungs that, like, stop playing God and just let her go. And I was like, what the? F like, I'm not playing God, dude. Like, I'm her mom. Like, that's my baby. I love her. I want her. She's, like, so wanted. I can't just... Yeah. let her like cut her off like I can't choose to end her life like I couldn't I can't I couldn't yeah like how dare they like try to guilt you from having hope for your daughter right like as a mother you never give up on your children you're not supposed yeah. to yeah like that whole week was just really like really really hard so the infection that I had after the baby was born they were doing all kinds of blood tests on me like testing my blood to see what kind of bacteria it was and whatnot. They sent her placenta to like pathology and they found um, abscesses in the placenta. So it's like pus, like little pus bubbles in the placenta. Wow. And so from that, they were like, I don't know if you guys have heard, it's called listeria. So like when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to eat like raw meats or raw fish because okay. it could cause listeria. Mm -hmm. So those little pus bubbles in the placenta to the doctors looked like hysteria. And so from that, they were attacking me, like, even more. Like, what did you eat? What did you eat? What did you drink? You know, go back. Think three, four days back. What did you eat? And I was like, I know, like, I did my research. Like, I know what I'm supposed to eat or not eat. And I know I didn't eat anything. But it, like, drove me crazy. Like, I was killing myself literally thinking like what did I eat what did I do like they really drilled it into me that something somehow was like my fault and um 
I don't know. Just she, you know, she was there for seven days, and on the seventh day, the doctor told us like, there's nothing else that we could do for her. She's on full life support. She's not improving. Um, you know, there's nothing else that we can do to like give her more. And um, so I was like, well, I don't care. You're still gonna whatever you're doing right now. You're just gonna keep doing it. So um, later that afternoon. I had we had seen her and we were like walking back to the room and right when we got to the room like the phone rang and um I didn't want to answer it I didn't want to answer it. I had like this really bad feeling like it was going to be the NICU calling me back so I just looked at Rob and I was like let's go back like I didn't I didn't answer it we just turned turned back around and we went back to the NICU and as soon as we got to the NICU they were like you know she's Within the last hour, you know, her sign, all of her signs are going down, which means like she's at the end of her life. You know, do you want us to take her off now so you can hold her, or what? What did you want to do? And I, even at that point, like knowing her signs, all of her signs were going down. Like I still couldn't take her off of the breathing machines and everything. So we just kind of like sat with her. And we were in our own little private room. We just sat with her. We held her hands and, um, you know, talked to her and told her that we loved her. And um, probably, like, when I saw that her oxygen was, like, really, really low was when I told them, like, okay, I wanted to hold her. And so they picked her up and they gave her to me. And I was just, like, smelling her, kissing her. And whispering to her. And, um, and then I gave her to Robert. And Robert was, you know, holding her and crying and kissing her too. And so we were just, you know, looking at her back and forth between them. And then the nurse, you know, she walked out and let us have our own time with her. And then when she came back, you know, she, she had called, you know, her time of death. And um, so you so guys, we just stayed. You guys were able to hold her, like as she passed. Yeah, she passed away. That was, and that was the only time that we were able to hold her. First time and the last time. And um, so we just we had our time in there with her. Robert called his mom, you know, to come and say goodbye to her. So his mom came. She didn't, I don't think she held her. I don't remember her holding her, but I do remember her talking to her and kissing her and telling her goodbye. <laughs> and, um, she had been like so fragile that whole week that I don't know, in my mind, I still felt like she was really like super fragile, you know? And, um, the doctor, I mean, the nurse had told us, you know, if we wanted to take her back to the room or to give her a bath. And I honestly, I really regret it now that I didn't do that. But at the time, I, I was thinking like, no, I don't want to hurt her. She's so fragile. I, I can't give her a bath. I can't do those things. So I, I, I didn't. But I, and I totally regret that now. I think it would have been like something so intimate, you know, something special. But at the time, I was just so filled with grief and thinking that like, I was going to hurt her for some reason that I just decided not to do that. So 
we just, you know, said our goodbye. We were there for a couple hours with her and just talked to her and touched her and kissed her and said our goodbyes. And then I had to go back to, we went back to my room. Um, were you still admitted in the hospital at this point or were you just like, just coming every day to visit? No, so I was still there at the hospital because of the um, infection. Yeah, and it infected my my C-section, my scar, like the incision, that they had to reopen my incision. So I didn't, like, they took out all the staples and they, like, totally reopened it. And I was, like, on antibiotics. They had to, like, put gauze inside of my belly. I was there for, like, a little bit over two weeks. Uh, I think I was there for, like, another whole week after she had passed. Uh, Just getting treated for the infection. So so the second time when they went in and took out your stitches, it was a totally different pain than what you had when you knew that it was wrong, right? Yeah. So when they did, when they took out my staples, um, like, that time I was numb. I didn't feel anything. I was on some pretty pretty good drugs by then so I didn't um feel it but like as the infection was as it was becoming infected like my stomach felt really sore like I couldn't I was telling um you know we met up with Danny and Christina a couple days ago and Rachel and I was telling them the story that like it my stomach had hurt so bad that like when I went to the restroom I couldn't even like bend down to like wipe myself and um I had called one of the nurses to help to come and help me. Like at that point I felt so like degraded, but I was also like, so I was so hopeless. So I called this nurse to come and help me. And she was like, what you want me to do? What? I was like, I can't, I can't wipe myself and I, I can't bend over. I'm in so much pain. And she's like, Oh, Oh no. And she just like left. She just left me. And I was like, what the heck? I don't, I had such a horrible, horrible experience. Like, it wasn't just, just the baby. It was like a lot of other little things. So Rob, you know, stepped up and he helped me out. <laughs> but, um, so I was telling him about like the whole bottle, you know, you guys were talking about the whole bottle, squeeze bottles before. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like nobody instructed me. Nobody told me, Hey, this is what it's for. I didn't have any um, like that guidance after all like the stories that I'm hearing about when people are having their first child like the more and more I feel like it's super important to have a doula that's there for you because you know our moms could be there for us but they don't know what the new criteria is you know they don't know what things have changed like you really do need a professional that has been working with you through your pregnancy and you would think that's who your doctor is you know you go and see your obg like yeah every like couple weeks and they should be the one that are helping you through this but like they just seem like and this is just my job you know like you were saying yeah. you were talking about whatever and i don't know if you heard during my birth story i was like they're just over here talking about whatever laughing about whatever and I haven't had my epidural. I can't feel anything. You know, my boyfriend was just like, I think you need to be pushing. You know, I'm looking at the monitor and you should be pushing and they're not telling you anything. Like, they're just in their own little yeah. world, like, gossiping about yeah, people. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody mm-hmm. gets comfortable in their job kind of thing. So, 
I think that's the same probably in healthcare. They just get too com- comfortable and confident with what they're doing and get a little bit. And they just like assume that right, we they slack off well. on the protocol and they get a little laxed with what they should really, really be doing. Yeah. Because I totally agree. Because if you would have had, you know, Danny there with you, you know, like – Or just a nurse. You know, like when I went to my room after I had Zoe, nobody told me what those things were for. They weren't in there, so I had no idea I needed them. So here I was trying to wipe myself too. So it's important. Yeah. And I think we all just assume that, oh, we're having a baby. We we got it all figured out. But it's like self-care, aftercare. It's It's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, definitely. How long did it take you to recover uh, afterwards? With the infection. They couldn't sew, because it was infected, like, they couldn't sew it back up. I had to, like, let it all drain out. And, um, like, the day before, I mean, that same day that I was released from the hospital, they put, like, a vacuum on it to, like, suck out all the bad stuff. So I had to wear this vacuum for, like... It's more than two months. Oh my god! So I didn't fully, I didn't fully. So I had the baby in March, and I didn't fully close until like the end of May, beginning of June. It was like months, and every week. So when I was released and I, um, I had the infection. Uh, twice a week, a nurse would come to my house and clean it and change it, and then once a week, I had to go back to the hospital and have them clean it, change it, and look at it. And so that was just like another horrible experience in itself. Like this, I mean, them to change the gauze, like from inside of my, you know, like my muscles. That first, that first, (laughs) that first time that like the nurse pulled out the gauze from my stomach, like I was screaming because it was like literally like stuck to the inside of my muscles. I was screaming. It hurt so bad. And then, um, when I would go to the first, I mean, the first time I went back to like the clinic and have them change it, I'm sitting there in a waiting room full of pregnant women or women who just had their babies and I couldn't take it. I just totally broke down crying and I like ran out of there and I was just waiting in the parking lot. And, you know, one of the nurses who saw me run out, she went to go get me. And she, like, took me, like, in a back way. And the doctor, you know, would change it. And same thing, you know, that happened with the home nurse. I started crying because it hurt so bad. I started crying with him because it hurt so bad. And he told me, like, You're, there, there's no nerve endings there because they're cut, they're cut. So it shouldn't hurt. And I was like, well, then why am I crying? Why am I screaming? Because this freaking stuff hurts, dude. And each time, you know, I, I mean, I went there for more than two months and each time I'd be crying because it hurt so bad for him to change it. And it wasn't until like probably like the last three weeks that I had gone to see him. He was finally like, OK, I'm going to numb you with some lidocaine in the area so you don't feel it. So oh, it was just horrible. Um, so, yeah. So, the, it, I mean, it didn't close until like the beginning of June. And then um, we did order, like, an autopsy to be done on the baby. And that was done at the end of June. And, um, you know, I had tons of questions. I didn't understand any of it. And I wanted answers, you know. 
So once I got the autopsy report, I was trying to contact my doctor to like set an appointment to like go over it with me and explain it to me. You know, I don't know this medical terminology. And um, so I called like the pastoral care services at the hospital. And so she said she was going to set up the appointment for me. Um, so I go and the NICU team was there and not one person from my OB team showed up. Oh my God. So at that point, and the NICU team, like they didn't, they didn't know what, what had gone on during labor. So they couldn't answer any of my questions. They just knew, you know, taking care of Roxanne. So they could answer all my questions as far as like Roxanne's care after she was born, but not before. So I just got like really frustrated. And at that point, you know, I just became even more mad. Like, you know, they're avoiding something. They know something and they're avoiding me. Like, what is it? So at that point was when I had started to like look for a lawyer to review my records and see if something had gone wrong, you know, that they did something wrong um, just to help me out. Um, This is now in July. that's in july that started in july yeah and so every time i went to a lawyer like they would turn me away and i was so confused like some of them had told me that the the visit my attending physician my ob he was like this really popular he's like really well known and so they knew him they had used him as like an expert in other stuff so it would be like a conflict of interest like to for them to pursue like legal action against him, like since they were buddies or whatever. And, um, I finally found one person who is willing to help me. And so like the law states, you have like one year to file a lawsuit after the death of, you know, the death or like malpractice or whatever. And so I was coming up on that one year, you know, from July to the next March, I was like in between those, I was like looking first for help. So finally I found somebody and it was already coming up on my one year that she had been passed. And so she was like, okay, I'm going to do the claim for you. She did it. She filed it in court, like on the day of my cutoff. And then like a week later, she was like, um, so she filed the claim in court for me. And then um, about a week later, she just like abandoned me. Like she said that she wasn't able to, to help me anymore. She didn't, and she didn't really give me a reason why. She just said that she wasn't able to help me and that she was going to try and get me like another referral. But all of the other referrals, like they didn't want to help me either. So that was in March, uh, a year after she had passed away. Did you figure out what that was about? Like, why was nobody willing to help? Um, I, I mean, he's a really popular physician. Okay. And yeah, nobody uh, wanted to be so, on his bad side or whatever yeah yeah so and also i'm not not, i can't really say his name but he he like you know the the guidelines that all of the ob's are supposed to abide by he helped write to some of these guidelines so he's like very well known so um i mean again people were probably thinking like there's this physician like he's writing these laws he's writing these guidelines he couldn't have you know made a mistake right like why would he go yeah. against the things that he made up himself yes exactly so you can be a professional at anything and you could still make a mistake you know what i mean just because you're a professional doesn't exempt you from making any kind of mistakes 
everybody makes mistakes. Um, but just the fact that he didn't want to like talk to me at all, just totally turned me off. You know, I think if he really would have like come forward, maybe I, I wouldn't have gone, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have gone this far. I don't know, but he never gave me that opportunity. He never answered like any of my questions. So anyway, so I, I continued to like try and find legal help. Nobody would help me. And so finally I just kind of like gave up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to look into it myself. I'm going to take it as far as I could go and we'll just see what happens. So like, I was so confused. Like I know nothing like about the law. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to look for. So what I did was I had requested a copy of her death certificate, which listed like the reasons why, you know, she passed away. So I got that and I just worked my way backwards, I guess. Like I got that and researched why, you know, what would cause these causes of death. And I researched those and I compared them to my medical records and I requested, I reached out to like, it's called the ACOG, the American um, College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. They're the ones that like uphold all of the guidelines. So I reached out to them and I would request like copies of their guidelines, their official guidelines. And I would compare those to my medical records and things just started clicking. Like, okay, you know, they, she made a mistake where the resident made a mistake where she broke my water too soon, where she didn't ask for my consent in doing that. Um, my water was broken for too long. I had an infection, like things just started clicking. But like the major thing that caused Roxanne's death is that she did not meet the, the, that checklist for the Pitocin use. So she was having like 16 hours of decelerations. So that means that like she did not meet the checklist. They should have turned it off the Pitocin off. And instead of turning it off, they kept increasing it. So making it stronger and stronger. And that's what caused her to like the decelerations. And when she was having decelerations that like was depriving her of oxygen. So basically like she suffocated with inside of me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So so that's kind of where I'm at now. I still don't have a lawyer. And um, I'm going back and forth at the moment between myself and, and the lawyers for the for the doctors and the lawyers for the hospital. Um, <clears throat> and even though, like, I've matched all this stuff up in my medical records and I found everything, like, my word means nothing. You know what I mean? I'm technically not a physician. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. So my word doesn't mean anything. So that's why you need somebody who is an expert, right? So that they can vouch for everything that you're saying. Yes. But, so nobody, will, hire. but nobody will go against this guy. <laughs> yeah. So kind of in a rough spot. I found um, a couple... Uh, physicians that you know they say that they're neutral they don't care who this physician is but their fees are like ridiculous fees and obviously like I'm living paycheck to paycheck like pretty much everybody else in our community I can't afford 10 or 15 or 20 thousand oh, dollars 
out of my pocket at the drop of a dime. And that's just for them to come and, like, testify and that's it? Yeah, exactly. That's not even a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee anything. It's just that they're going to come talk. So, okay, so also in that process, I filed complaints, like, with um, the California Department of Public Health. And so that organization oversees all the hospitals to make sure that, like, they're following the rules. <clears throat> and so when they came, they went in and investigated the hospital, they found exactly what I found, that, you know, she didn't meet the, the requirements for the Pitocin and it should have been turned off. But I can't use, the like, the law protects, <laughs> the law protects them that I can't use that investigator that went to the hospital. I can't use him in my civil case. The law protects the hospital from from me using that person. That's what all those forms that they make you sign when you get to the hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what all that yeah. sucks. Everything Nobody do. reads it. I mean, what can you do? You're in there just like, yeah, you you're just like, oh, sign here, out. sign there. Like, <laughs> something, I mean, of course, you go to the hospital when something's wrong or you're giving birth, so you're going to sign anything that's going to get you help. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you don't have a choice, you either sign those papers or you get nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, all that fine print. What are, what are we hoping, you know, if you, you know, I know that you have a GoFundMe set up, right? Yes, I do. So my GoFundMe is uh, GoFundMe.com backslash uh, justice for Roxy. And um, I was tr- trying to do like other fundraisers to like, you know, help with the funds. Um, but they're kind of like stalling out as well. A lot of people definitely give me, you know, moral support. And, you know, they're they're definitely on my side. But um you know, I'm just not getting any monetary donations at the moment. So what is, I mean, I don't know if I'm saying this like the right way, but like, what are we hoping to get out of this lawsuit? So out of the lawsuit, um, once, you know, I have to have somebody testify on my behalf saying that, you know, this physician, you know, was negligent, had malpractice, um, him and the hospital will be fined. The doctor may lose his license. It's not guaranteed. But um, definitely, like, I just really want to hold them accountable for something that could most definitely have been prevented. I'm supposed to have a three-year-old toddler right here right now, you know, playing with me, talking to me. I don't. So I just really want them to be held accountable for their actions. Or lack of evidence, you know? Yeah, Or, like, I can't believe that they just, like, canceled one of the C-sections and then just, like, oh, okay, let's go, like, yeah. afterwards, when it was already too late. Yeah. That's just, like, yeah. And, um, definitely I have, like, other goals. You know, this is obviously my, you know, goal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, once, you know, the case is all done, said and done, um, I'm definitely, I definitely have goals to like bring more awareness. I'm definitely like in the process of writing my legislators to like change 
these medical laws that protect, you know, the hospitals and the doctors when they make a mistake. Like, that's not right. They should be, you know, definitely held accountable for whatever they do wrong. So with your experience, I know, I mean, you were doing the research before anyways. Is there anything that you could recommend for new mothers so that something like this Um, doesn't happen again? Other than, you know, of course you know, the legal stuff with the doctors, but is there any, like, personal (laughs) advice that you could give to someone? First and foremost, I want to say, like, just because I had a bad experience, you know, doesn't mean you're going to have a bad experience. So I don't want to scare, you know, any any new new mommies out there. I don't want to scare them, you know. Um, Definitely ask. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Ask a million questions. Um, do all the research that you can definitely review your options because there's no wrong way to give birth, you know, whether it's vaginal or cesarean, like birth is birth and no option is wrong. I would say like, uh, the, you know, the, the website or the organization I had mentioned before the ACOG, um, they have a lot of, you know, if you're curious, go check out their guidelines and read their guidelines so that, you know. They know what they're walking into. If they'd be more informed, if they want to have a C-section, you know, go look up the guidelines on a C-section. Look up if you're having an induction. Go look up the guidelines on having an induction, and there's a ton of information out there. So that's what I would do. And how are you and your husband coping with the loss of Roxy? Um, it's for sure. It's been really, really, really hard. Um, I mean. There's always moments where, you know, we sit and wonder what kind of, you know, what she would have been, who she would have grew into. In the the months, like, directly after her passing, like, I mean, even for, even now, honestly, it's really hard for me to, I can't, I can't go to a baby shower. I'm definitely happy and excited for, you know, the expecting mother, but it's just really hard for me to be around you know another pregnant person or another little baby because my mind just goes to this is what I missed out on you know so it's definitely hard Um, but again I always stress that I'm happy for that mother I'm happy for that baby it's just I'm you know it's just what I'm missing Um, between me and my husband you know things have been rough it's definitely put a strain on our relationship but you know, we're working on it. It's always a working process. Any other questions? <sighs> I mean, Vanessa and I are both like sitting here and like a loss for words. I know. It's a very, very tough subject. So we just want to thank yeah. you so much for being so open and honest with everyone that's listening. It's very, very hard to talk about, I'm sure. So thank yeah. you for letting it all come out for us today yeah Yeah. know about roxy you know the short life that she lived you know just getting her story out so that something like this doesn't happen to another family right yeah and i want to you know thank you guys also for giving me the opportunity to you know speak about her you know it's definitely tough to to bring it up or to talk about her because i just get so emotional but you know, I'm always glad to talk about her and I'm always glad to tell, you know, people about her short little life and, 
that she had the most perfect eyebrows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was just so beautiful. And, so, you know, I'm always happy. I'm always excited to talk about her. Um, you know, it was, in the beginning, it was really hard, really hard to talk about her because, honestly, like, I really did believe, like, it was somehow my fault, you know. But as I realized, you know, it wasn't my fault and that guilt kind of, like, faded away, you know, like, I'm, you know, that's when I really started, like, telling people about my story, telling people about her and really opened up. And so I'm really glad that you guys gave me the opportunity to share her story. Yes, thank you. We love that you shared it with us and you're keeping her memory alive. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to keep following along with you. And of course, we want to spread Roxy's story and about your GoFundMe because this is so... This is so crazy. Like, I just can't even think of any other words to say other than that. And, I mean, we want to support you, and we hope that everybody else does along the way. Thank you. Yes, Jane. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, we'll be keeping up with you and, you know, keep us involved and let us know how it's going. I always, you know, I always post, uh, you know, an update here and there on, you know, what's going on. So people can, I did have my Instagram, you know, private before, but I opened it up so anybody can follow me and they can follow me at uh, Lotus Lane Jane. Um, And I also have, you know, anything that's about Roxy, I always hashtag it, remember Roxy. So you know how they have that option now on IG to follow hashtags. If you just want to follow Roxy's little story, you can just follow the hashtag remember Roxy and you can see all of her pictures and mementos that i've posted about her so sweet okay okay jamie well we love you thank you for freaking staying up this late with us (laughs) yeah okay you guys have a good night you too take care jane thanks Bye. bye all right guys well that was a very 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 intense conversation it's pretty pretty rough but we're wishing Jane and her family the best of luck, and we're hoping everything turns out in their favor. Mm-hmm. On a lighter note, we reached a thousand followers on Instagram, and we're so fortunate, so happy. So let us know. What we're really we? grateful. Grateful. Maybe that's the word. Yeah, I'm we're really for. grateful that there's actually a thousand people looking at what we're posting. Like. Every other day, every whenever we get the chance, so we're not chasing after the kids, guys. We like to post stuff, but um, yeah, we're really, 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 really grateful. So we wanted to do a giveaway for you guys, but we have some rules and regulations to it because you know there's got to be some structure. So how are we gonna do it, Jess? We're gonna do entries. Yeah. So the way we you get entered into this giveaway is by leaving us a review on iTunes. Um, So leave us a review on iTunes and then send us a message in a comment or whatever and let us know that you did it. And also, let me let you know what our giveaway is exactly. So go to Instagram, follow chocolatemilkkids underscore, and you will see the cutest little t-shirts. They're hip-hop and urban children's apparel and adults too so cute guys Mm -hmm. so they have all these really cool little mommy and me 
shirts. You can go to her Etsy, and she's a single mom doing her thing. And she started this business after trying to find shirts for her son. And then, you know, it just kind of turned into these really cool sayings. So check her out, chocolate milk kids underscore. So follow her, follow us, leave the review on iTunes, and yeah, let us know that it's done. Okay, so the way we're going to do it, guys, we're going to do a raffle. Once everybody leaves their reviews and enters, we are going to put everyone's name in a hat and do a live raffle. We haven't picked a date for the raffle yet so stay tuned on our instagram to find out when it's going to be so yeah so this the entries start now as soon as you hear this um it is april 17th april 17th uh-huh so go ahead start entries we'll probably do it about two weeks maybe two weeks that sounds like a good a good time frame yeah but you'll get the exact date on our instagram why don't we announce it on like um the winner on cinco de mayo is that enough time yeah yeah why not (laughs) (laughs) something to celebrate yeah that's a good one um so again our giveaway is with chocolate milk kids underscore mommy and me shirts they're can so I cute. enter it? Um, no, you can't freaking Why enter not? it. They're oh. really cute shirts, though. I, know. They're, I love it. And I have my lo- own Instagram. I could just give, <laughs> give us a little review. Yes. Give us a little love. <laughs> give us some love from your personal Instagram. <laughs> no, I know what your Instagram Fine. name is, and it does not count. Whatever, because I think we're pretty cool. I'm, and I, I was going to leave a review saying that, well. but I guess I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're pretty cool, a.k.a. talking about myself, a.k.a. AKA moody mommy's my rock, a.k.a. I am a moody mommy, a.k.a. <laughs> let, me re- <laughs> let me redo this little story. Um, so this is the owner of the Etsy shop. Her name is Cynthia, and I'm going to read you her little bio, so I'm going to read it like as if I were her. So my name is Cynthia, and I'm a proud single mama to a happy and healthy little boy named Jacob, who's featured on all my posts, photos, and models, all the boys' tees. I'm a full-time mom, child development specialist, and small business owner. I'm into fashion and kids' fashion as well. I launched Chocolate Milk in April 2015 because I was inspired by the clothes not sold in stores. Whenever I'd go to H&M, Target, Old Navy, etc., they never had anything I was attracted to. So they just weren't creative enough for me. Granted, they do have cute clothes. I mean, I freaking live at Old Navy. I know. Uh, I'm <laughs> Um, and if any of you mamas have boys, you know the struggle. Basic shirts, jeans, and Crocs. So I thought, why not make my own shirts? So yeah, guys, super duper 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 cute. That mom hustle life, guys. <laughs> Give her a follow. And don't forget to enter our giveaway because you could win some shirts. So why not? And until next time, um, wait, next episode, I shouldn't have clapped, but, so next episode, <laughs> <laughs> clapping right in the microphone, we are going to be talking to the sleep trainer. Yes, we need her in our life for sure. 
Natalie it is. Natalie, uh-huh. Pretty, pretty stoked to talk to Natalie. Yeah, so we're going to get that in. We'll have that to you. So if you guys have any questions about sleep training, send them our way. Yes. If you are super duper pro co-sleeping, also hit us up because we'd love to hear your perspective and why you think it's so important to co-sleep. Yes. Um, or bed share, whatever term you tickles your fancy. <laughs> I'm not huge on terminology. You guys know English is our only language. And we we have our <laughs> own moody mommy dictionary around here, guys. Um, but other than that, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on IG. We'll talk to you guys soon. Moody Mommies. Moody Mommies. Moody Mommies Podcast.